0: Now, more than ever, in the crazy, turbulent times that we're living, we need a solid anchor on which to place our faith. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God, and that, uh, there is, uh, that we are to uh, not go by just by the things that we see, but we are to walk by faith and not by sight. And so I'd like you to Go with me as we continue learning about unwavering faith. Find the book of John, chapter 11. John, chapter 11, and we're going to go into that uh, scripture uh, in just a moment. I've been teaching you about the certainty of trouble that will come into your life, that you will face opposition and adversity, that you shouldn't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you, but that the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. And perseverance will do a work in you that will cause you to change from who you are right now into somebody who is grateful and respectful, a person of integrity, a person of great character. And that's not going to happen without some opposition. You see, you're so important to God. You have such a purpose for your life. There is nobody like you There's no one in the world that's exactly like you. God puts you on this earth for a reason. And so he wants you to be better. He wants you to achieve. He wants you to aspire, to be the person that he created you to be, to find the destiny for why you're here so that you will be able to make a difference. And you know, there's something within us that responds to that, and we say, yes, we wanna be better. And yes, I wanna grow. And yes, I wanna leave behind the things that limited me and that uh, I don't wanna have hold me back anymore. I do wanna strip off every weight that's been entangling me. I want God's purpose for my life. Well, here's the truth about that. You will not get there without adversity and opposition because you don't change when things are going well. When everything's going your way, you want everything to stay the same. And so what we really want is we, we, don't want, we, we want things to get better but stay the, exactly the same because change freaks us out. Opposition, difficulty is some, not something we welcome into our lives. But we need this unwavering faith in the, in the face of the oppositions that come. It is faith that 's going to bring you out and take you to the purpose that God has for you and so today, I want, because of the interest of time and because of the familiarity with this incredible passage i 'm not going to read it all verse by verse, but we 're just going to get to the the key parts of the story, and i 'll abbreviate uh, as we go along. But John chapter one, read it together with me. I hope you brought a Bible. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the, feet, or anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And then to verse 5. Now, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. Isn't that interesting? Now he loved them so much, and it goes to great deal that'll point out how much they loved each other. And when he heard the news that he was sick, and they were desperate, he decided to stay where he was specifically two days longer. Interesting. Verse seventeen. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus was dead. I mean, he'd already been dead for four days. He'd been in the tomb. Verse twenty-one. I want you to see and feel the emotion that's going on in this verse. Pick up the anger and frustration of someone who expected God to do something, but he didn't come through. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then look at the contrast. Something happens between verse 21 and 22, Something goes on and look at the difference. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Let's read that together. Say it with me. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And she said, Well, I know he's gonna rise at the resurrection at the at the last day. No. I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will never die. And he goes on to emphasize this and say, do you believe this, Martha? And she says, I believe. Yes, Lord, you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And the story goes on, and finally he says to her, verse uh, 34, he said, where have you laid him? In other words, take me to this spot where you've buried him. And they said to him, "Lord, come and see." In verse thirty-five, Jesus wept. By the way, the shortest verse in the Bible. For all of you looking to memorize scripture, it made it easy. Jesus wept. And uh, the Jews said, "See how he loved him." Some of them said, but others, some of them said, "Could he not have opened the he who opened the eyes of the blind man? Could have kept this man from dying?" That's sarcasm. It's not that they believe that he opened the eyes of the blind man. He's just saying, this guy, he he didn't really do that miracle. He's not going to do this one either. But Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb, came to the cave. The stone was in front of it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. The old King James used to say right here, by this time he stinketh, which I wish they'd kept in. It's so much more... Just more interesting, I think. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so take that stone away, move it back. And then Jesus, lifting up his eyes, said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that I don't have to say this for the benefit of anybody here. You and I know what we're going to do right now. But for the benefit of these haters and doubters and all these people standing around, I want them to know that you have sent me. And he said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And when he said this, the man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. The same thing Jesus is saying to people today that he might be saying to you this morning. Unbind him, let him go. And many of the Jews, therefore, who came with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him and let the church say amen. That'll preach right there. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of speaking your word to this gathering today. I thank you, Lord, that you want to break through barriers that are known and unknown. I pray that we would not be resistant to your precious Holy Spirit, that you would empty me and myself, you would fill us all with your spirit, and we could hear what you're saying to us. I pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. The Gospels are a compressed little narrative of, of stories. These, these, these stories of Jesus' life and his ministry and his death and resurrection, it's compressed. It's a synopsis because if you read them out loud, there'd only be six hours of actual instruction. Six hours of his life, that's all we know. And yet in those six hours, we come to a story like this that has so much detail, and it's such a long chapter, it's indicative of the importance of what God might want to teach to us. Because these stories are not just historical narrative. They're for us that if Jesus rose from the dead, then when we come up on situations that we're buried under, we too can rise again. Are you hearing what I'm saying? (laughs) So this is what God wants for us in this incredible story. You think that the story starts off with the illness of Lazarus. After all, that's what the first verse says, but it's not the beginning of the story. This story begins with the relationship that Jesus had already with Mary, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus already had a pre-existing relationship with Jesus before the crisis, and so that's my first point today. If you're writing it down, I hope you are, you're t- getting this in, listen to this. The first step is a relationship with God. I'm not so much going to go through every one of these verses, but I want to give you an exit strategy for how you come out of a hopeless situation. And the first step is that you got to have a relationship with God. There are too many people that are just coming to God only when they need something from Him rather than wanting to have a relationship with Him. They only come to God in a crisis. Like, God, you know, I heard the news from the doctor, or they got in a car crash, or some other crisis came up, and then they come running to God. But before that, they've never had any interest. You'd be amazed that people would try to just manipulate and use God like that, but it happens. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus did not come to Jesus thinking they were going to need him. In fact, they thought that Jesus needed them. You don't realize, but they had positioned themselves in his life as people who would support him and minister to him. He stayed in their home every time he came through Bethany. They provided for his disciples and for his needs, and they were excited about what he was doing, and they enjoyed this great friendship with the master. In other words, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were givers and not takers. They didn't start the relationship from the perspective of what are we going to get out of this? What can you do for me? Instead, they began the relationship from a standpoint of I want to give something back to you. Caution. Watch out for people who start a relationship with you on the basis of what they need from you. That's a dangerous indication. They only want something from you instead of just wanting to be your friend. Now, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, it says, He, whoever brings blessing, will be enriched. Whoever waters will himself be watered. So the idea of being enriched here has nothing to do with being wealthy. It is a mindset. It's a mentality. If, if you're stingy broke, you're going to be stingy rich. I mean, you're the same person. There is no limit, in other words, this verse is saying, to how God will bless a person who has the mindset of blessing others. The person who says I exist as a conduit to bring the blessing of God into the life of other people. There is no limit to the faithfulness of God to help them, to bring them through whatever they're going through, to help them as they have positioned themselves to minister to other people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Good, good, keep that up. It encourages me. Now listen. They did not try to just take something from him. They weren't trying to manipulate him or use him. They were giving people And you need to see, I don't know if you've caught where I'm going with all of this, but some of you are getting, uh, trying to get a God to do for you, uh, you know, something, but you don't talk to him, you don't serve him, you don't worship him, you don't seek after him, you don't uh, humble yourself before him, you just have this crisis, and all of a sudden you come saying, God, this is what I need you to do for me, and then when he doesn't do what you've asked him to do, you have the audacity to have an attitude, (laughs) Or to blame him and to say, why? You know, I, I reject God because he did Do you have a relationship with him? Is this a true friendship? That's why I'm glad that I'm a worshiper. I'm glad I come in here and lift up my hands, whether things are going good or bad. From day to day, it doesn't matter. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will say how excellent is the name of the Lord. Don't wait for stuff to get bad to praise God. You praise him. You don't make these people beg you to worship the Lord. God is scheduled to receive something from you every Sunday. You should come here. Oh, God, I can't wait to bless you and to honor you and to, to worship you and to thank you. And you cultivate that grateful, expectant heart long before you need something from him. You see, these people had no idea the relationship they had was going to be so pivotal at the point of their greatest crisis someday down the road. They didn't wait for the crisis to build the relationship. And you can't afford, you cannot afford to wait either. you got to build that relationship now. Now, just because you have a relationship does not mean you're not going to have any problems. You're not going to have any difficulty. Some people believe that if you tithe, if you serve the Lord, if you worship, you have the relationship, you're not going to have any problems. Everything's going to be good. All your bills will be paid. Your kids will get straight A's. There won't be any difficulties in life. You'll never get a speeding ticket. Hello. You'll never get, you'll never get a, a, a wreck or anything. That's just not true. Wake up. You are going to have trials and difficulties, and you're going to have opposition. The the Bible promises that the godly will experience persecution in spite of the relationship that you have with God. It's going to happen. Trouble comes to the good and it comes on the bad. It comes to black people. It comes to white people. It comes to rich people. It comes to poor people. Trials come to Republicans and Democrats, both alike. (laughs) Trouble comes to all of us. And so don't you be waiting around thinking, oh God, you know, why are you doing something bad to me? Faith is not a repellent against trouble. Trouble will come into your relationship in spite of your relationship, but you need that relationship, hear me, to get through. It's the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ, your personal faith in him, that's going to get you through to the other side. Anybody tracking with me this morning? So what do you do when trouble comes and you have the relationship? You do the second step here, which is so important, which is you have a rational approach, You've got to have rationality and faith. You cannot have one without the other. Too many people going around praying for God to do stuff for them that they should have just been doing themselves. You can't lay in bed in the morning and pray, Oh, God, thank you for this day. I pray now that you would just brush my teeth. You have all the water. You have all power. Brush, wash my whole body, Lord. Make me clean. No, you've got to get up out of bed and make your face look right. You know, you've got to... You've got to shower, and you've got to clean up, and you've got to get out there and face your world. You know, God is expecting you to stand on your own two feet. I think people are delusional sometimes, faith-filled people. They're delusional when it comes to what they expect God to do for them. This is why people get stuck on the first level of faith. They believe God to forgive them, but they don't really have faith to actually do what they're supposed to do. If you're a single person, and you're praying, God, you know, bring that special, perfect person into my life but all you do is stay at home and you're depressed and you don't go out you are limiting your choices to the FedEx guy and the guy that's coming (laughs) with the mail subscription it ain't gonna happen no doctors walking to your door My son is breaking in a new roommate at school, okay, and there's a little tension going on because my son will get up, he'll put his nice clothes on, maybe he'll put a tie on, he'll walk out, you know, confident, and his roommate's just laying there with his sweats sweats and his t-shirt and stuff, and he's going, Nick, I don't see why you get so dressed up every day, I don't want to get up, I don't want to shower, I just, I love it that I'm free, I can just, you know, roll out of bed go to my classes. I don't care what I look like. You should be more relaxed. And he remembers the conversations that he and I have had over the years, which is, you don't know what your day's going to bring. You don't know who you're going to meet. You know what? There's a young woman in my son's future at some point. I don't know when it is, but I'll be, uh, he will not be meeting that girl on the first day in a shirt he had on for three days, okay? Okay. <laughs> He already knows, we have drilled it in, that you don't know what's going to happen. You get up, you get ready, you present your best self because, and you invest in people and get out there and serve and do stuff for folks, and you are providing for your own future because you're getting yourself in the place where God is going to bring a blessing at some point. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You cannot just lay there and expect that the woman of your dreams are going to say, wow, look at him, you know? <laughs> Not unless you fix yourself up a bit, <laughs> Are you, are you understanding? Some people are saying, God, save me from my financial situation. Deliver me from my finances. But you never live on a budget? (laughs) But you don't put God first? I mean, what do you think? I mean, it's delusional, right? God, heal my broken heart. But you won't go to a small group, to a support group? to where other people can start to help you and to encourage you. God, my marriage is a disaster, save it, but you won't go to counseling to see a professional to get the help that you need? The most encouraging thing I was at in this entire month was last Wednesday night when we had the start of Divorce Care, and I came just to meet the people that would come, and I was so proud of them because they got up and said, this is my story. And you know, old people, young people, and they're sharing, this is my name, and this is what happened, I never expected to be here. And as I just kind of fought back the tears, I said, this is so incredible. This is faith in action. These are people who are saying, yes, I'm hurt, but I'm willing to put myself in the place for 13 weeks where healing is going to come into my life. They're not just laying at home waiting for God to do something. They are saying, God, I want you to restore me. And that is active faith. That's real faith. You have to have rational faith. You have to have rationality and faith together. Now, some people, though, are just all rational. And they only believe what they can know and what they experience. The old cult of Gnosticism, where we worship the intellect and only things that I understand and only things that I've experienced. Okay, great. So what do you do when with all of your experience and all of your knowledge, you come up on a problem that you can't solve? What do you do when you've got a condition or a problem and you know it's going to take a miracle, you know that it's hopeless, but because you don't believe in the supernatural, you kind of ruled out God really doing anything at all? You see, you got to have rationality and faith. Now, why, how did I get here? Because Mary and Martha and Joseph, they tried everything that they could, and then they called Jesus. Much like the woman in Luke 8 that had all kinds of problems, and she went to all the doctors and spent all that she had, but then when she'd come to the end, then she went and sought out a miracle for Jesus. you got to do everything that you can do. But when you're done, you're still going to have to rely on Jesus. What do you do when you've prayed and you've called and you've tried everything and you really have put yourself out? The problem is is that Jesus did not show up on your timetable. I mean, you have faith, right, that he can do something, but he doesn't do what you want him to do when you want him to do it. That's what happened to these folks. They prayed, they believed, they did all the stuff that they could do. They asked for Jesus to come. He didn't come, and, and Lazarus died. So sometimes when you're waiting on God, stuff will die. And then what do you do? Well, the third thing that just lifts out of this uh, passage to me is number three, got to release the problem at that point. I mean, you've done everything you can do, you've tried everything you know how, you applied faith, you prayed, and it didn't go the way you wanted it to go. So you release it, you let it go. And this is such an important part of the faith process because as long as you're holding on to the problem, God is not gonna touch it. As long as you think that you've got it under all of your control, he's not gonna come in and provide uh, in a miraculous way for you. You gotta come to the point where your human power runs out and you say, God, God, I don't know what to do, but you know, I give up the outcome. I give up my timetable. I don't know what you're doing, so I'm trusting you. It was uh, 10 years ago, and I brought 45 people over from the Holiday Inn on a Sunday night into this. This was a warehouse. This wasn't a building that looked like this at all. It was just an old, dirty warehouse. But I brought these 45 people, in, and I said, look at this. Someday there's going to be thousands of people sitting in, or hundreds of people. Maybe I won't be. Uh, I'm sure I said thousands back then because I was excited. <laughs> Crazy faith. I said, God, God, uh, God's going to do something great here. I want you to see it. And they all said, Darren, you're crazy. This is, this is beyond what we can do. This is, not a, this is too much. We don't need all this space. But yet, there were some of us, and there was, we, we believed, and we said, you know what? There could be a great ministry from here. And we made plans for a daycare center and we pl- for this ministry that we would affect all these families. And, we, you know, we, we hired a daycare director by faith, and we, we made up a business plan, and we, we, we found out uh, how to get some venture capital and a loan that would support that. And all we needed to do at the end was come up with $15,000 for the first month's rent and a security deposit. And we would need 10,000 a month after that, which was kind of important. But you know, (laughs) but all we needed to get in to get this thing going was that first 15,000. You would have thought it was 15 million. I could not get anybody to believe that it was the right idea. I could not raise that $15,000. I tried everything. I talked to people, I called, I met with people, and nobody wanted to be a part of that $15,000. We got down to the week before the closing it was a Friday that was a closing, and on the Tuesday, um, I found out the bank called and says, well, you don't have that money, and, you know, we don't think that it's going to happen, so we're backing out from the loan. So now, there was no cash, and there was no loan, and it all just fell apart. Just, and you come to the end of yourself at that point. You say, God, I have tried everything I know how to do. I've prayed to you if I've asked you. I don't need no 25,000 square feet for my kids. I need that for your children. God, what are you going to do? and you just release it and you let it go. You see, God couldn't let this church happen easily because then my faith would have never been built. God won't let you off easy because he's trying to get you into positions where your faith is going to be tested. God's after your transformation. God is not worried about the building of buildings. He's after building people's lives. And so he wants you sometimes and leads you right into trouble so you can come to the end of yourself where you realize that even in trouble, I'm with you. And when they say no, it doesn't mean that I'm saying no. Now, that is a lesson that you have to learn. It's a lesson I had to learn. And there was no other way to learn it but to go through the circumstances. I remember that pivotal prayer. God, I'm just turning this over to you. If I fail, if it all doesn't work out, then I'm okay. I release the timetable to you. This is your thing. And I let it go. And that's what they did with Lazarus. We can't heal him. We can't fix him. We've prayed about it. We've called on Jesus. It's getting worse. So we just release him. And you know what happened? When they released him to the hand of God, You know what happened? Lazarus died, and they buried him, and they rolled a stone in front of him. Now, that's what we do when we can't fix things. When we come to the end of ourselves and stuff happens, stinky stuff, we roll a stone over it. Every one of us in this room have places in our lives where we have contradictions. Everybody in this room has covered up something in their life everybody is a hypocrite about something. Don't you be saying all those hypocrites. Let me look you in the eye and say it. Everybody in this room is a hypocrite about something. It's true. And what we do is we cover stuff up. We manage messes we can't fix by covering it up. My father-in-law, um, David Coston, he had this problem back in Philadelphia of these skunks trying to live under his front porch. And it was, a, it was awful. They kept coming back. He couldn't get rid of them. It smelled bad. And they kept wanting to live there. So finally one day, he just had it. He says, I'm doing something about this myself. Forget the contractor. So he went out and got uh, a bunch of quick-setting cement. And he found the little hole where the critters live. And he says, I'm going to block their hole. They're not going to be able to come back. And I'll get rid of those skunks. Well, <laughs> you know, the only problem with that theory was, was that the little critters were actually in the hole when he put the quick-drying cement down the hole. So about four days later, I show up at the house, and by this time, it stinketh. <laughs> it was bad. I mean, we had a, there was a problem. There had to be some excavation and the stuff that was, uh, it was just not good. It was a bad mess. You cannot cover up stinky stuff. Now, you see, it's funny when it skunks, but you know, when, it, when it's, a, it, it's a marriage and Somebody's crossed the line into physicality or a marriage that's just in a war, or a child that's being abused. It's not funny, it just stinks. And every one of us, all of us in our lives, we've got things that we regret, or things that have been problems, or things that we just didn't know what to do with, but for, for survival's sake, we roll the stone over it, and it's just there. Well, they couldn't fix Lazarus either, either. They roll the stone over it, what families do when there's a mess. And I just wonder today, is there anything in your life that you said, this was hopeless, it's, there's nothing that can be done, and you just roll the stone over it in front of all that stinky stuff? Now, Jesus shows up into this situation, and he's late. They've had the graveside service, the internment. They've had the dinner afterwards. It's been four days. They're trying to get on with their life. And Jesus shows up, and he did not get a good reception. Because we don't receive God well when he shows up late. And uh, he comes in, and you can feel that frustration in that verse that we read a moment ago. Jesus, if, if you'd have shown up. I mean, it's not like, like, like they didn't have faith, right? Like they believed. Like if only you had been here, why didn't you come when I asked you to come? There's nothing worse. I mean, there's nothing more powerful than an angry woman, I'm telling you. I'll face a man who's angry any day of the week. Like, you know, hey, what? What? You know, I don't care. But a woman? Woo! My wife said there's four things in life you don't mess with. She says, "You don't mess with my husband, my kids, my house, and my dog, right? <laughs> That's the four things. And, you know, you, you don't want to... You, you know, it, Jesus is getting this this incredibly hurt, frustrated woman, you know, who, who feels like something that she loved and she wanted to protect was being, was up under attack and had died. But something happens... And we don't have it recorded, but something happened between verse 21 and 22 because there's a little transformation that takes place in her heart. I mean, she's having a conversation after all with Jesus and where her faith ran out and was dead, it was gone. It's hopeless. Why weren't you here? But the next verse 22 says all of a sudden, even now, Lord, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. You see, here's what happens. When your faith runs out, and it's gone, God will bring to you and give you faith that you don't even have. God will bring you that little seed of hope, that little measure of faith. That's what Jesus does. He'll walk in, and that's what she got. Number four, a revelation from God. God will give you a revelation of himself. There will be a God fingerprint somewhere that takes place, and you'll have this sense, I don't know what God is doing here, but I see him right here in my life right now. And your heart might just have enough hope to say, I need... This is crazy, but I feel that maybe there's a chance. No, there's not a chance. Some of you, though, need an even now moment. You need an even now moment right now. It stinks, it's bad, it's been a mess, it's over, but even now, God, I think it's not too late. Even now, God, I believe that you're gonna make a way. Even now, I know that that you'll give me the courage to do what I need to do. Even now, I can believe that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Even now, I believe that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Even now, God, I believe that you can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all I can ask or think. There's something that will happen that God will give you a spark of faith that you don't even have. And you'll just hang on and you'll wait to see what God will do. For those of you who don't know, on Tuesday, they said no. On Wednesday, I go to the post office and there's a letter from a man that I had invested in for seven years. I'd led him to Christ back in the East Coast and I'd been a part of his life. I had never asked him for anything. I never even thought to call him or to tell him of my need. But just it just happened that God put it on his heart to several days before write me a letter and say, I believe in what God is doing in Indianapolis, and I want to support the work of God. And inside was a check for $15,000. It was the exact amount that I would need on Friday. Now, it didn't just happen... It didn't just happen because it's not like some stranger and it just randomly showed up like, God, just send it in. There had been an investment in a relationship and a friendship that had taken place over time. God had a miracle waiting for me in a relationship that I didn't even know existed, really. And then the bank called later on that day and said, you know what, we've reconsidered. We're going to give you the funding anyway. And Heartland Church began... And yes, there's been hiccups, and yes, there's been struggles, and yes, we have not always got it right, and yes, we struggle, and yes, we try to figure out what he's doing, and we follow him by faith, but here we are, 10 years later, over 1,000 people baptized in two campuses and 75 acres of land, and God can do exceedingly, abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine. That's a fact. Even now, it's not too late for God. Think about it. In the first half of the story, they brought Lazarus as far as a rational approach could do. And then in the second section, they they believed that Jesus could heal him, so they sent for him. So it means they have faith. They have faith for a healing. It just wasn't their timetable. And so when they got to the part where they said, we'll just release it, Lazarus died. And you would need some kind of crazy faith to believe that anything could happen after a death. But Jesus came and gave him some faith that they didn't have, and he's going to give them a miracle. But to do so, he first asked them a question. And the question is, so where have you laid him? Listen, listen, listen. Take me to the place where you stopped believing. Take me to the place where your limitations, where where, where your limitation has happened, where your faith has run out. Take me to the spot where all hope has died. You see, you can hear and be excited about faith in here, but can you take the faith that you receive in here and take it to the place where something has died, at your place where you've rolled the stone over? Can you believe that God can do the impossible? Jesus said, listen, take away the stone. They took him there. That little seed of faith got him to the stone but then the back talk happened. God, God, you do not want to go in there. Jesus, it stinks by now. Jesus, you don't understand. And think about the grief. We buried him 4 days ago. Why would you want to take us back to the to the cemetery? I don't think my heart could handle that kind of pain. Don't rip the scab off of what's just being healed now, Lord. That's what we say to God. That's the back talk and the resistance when the little spark of faith starts to come. God, we we get so busy telling God what we think He can't do that he's already decided he's gonna do. God, I don't think you could ever make any hope come out of this. God, this is a dead end. This this is there's no hope. Nothing can happen here and he says, Roll away that stone. Roll it away. Because until you roll away the stone, God cannot get at the thing that he was after all along. Because you think your life is all about what you want. He is after your transformation. He wants to go to the broken area of your life. He wants to go to the places that you're stuck and you thought were hopeless. He's trying to get there. And when you let him in, when you roll away the stone, that's when a restoration of life can happen. And that's the fifth point I've got for you today. A restoration of life takes place when you roll away the stone. It's not over. I've got to tell you, I've, I've talked to people for 20 years as a pastor, and I, I believe it. Everybody's got some part in their life that they want to cover over, some stinky stuff. It's not about the addiction, you know. It, it, addiction's just the symptom. Addictions are all about something painful that you're trying to cover up with whatever it is, Right? So there's some pain that's been buried. And so we try to compensate for it in a lot of ways. It can be drugs. It can be alcohol. It can be food. It can be spending. It can be food. (laughs) It can be spending. It can be food. It can be spending. It can be gossip because that makes us feel better. we We do all kinds of stuff to make us feel better as if those were the problems. And those aren't the problems. It's what's underneath that we're really trying to cover up for all those years. Now, He comes into that situation, and he says, I want you to get to the heart of the issue. Can you bring your rational mind and bring your faith together and roll away this stone and get to work and let me touch this area in your life? It is not over, I'm here to tell you. I'm talking to somebody that what you thought you lost, God wants to restore, that the second half of your life can be better than the first part of your life. I'm talking to somebody they roll away the stone, and there were all these people that were there. I mean, there's the, there's the heartbroken people that are saying, Oh, God, don't take us back. Don't take us back to the tomb. I can't, my heart can't handle this. Oh, you're not going to open up the grave. You can imagine. And on the other hand, you've got people that are there like, We got them right where we want them now. We knew all this miracle stuff was fake. He's trying to say that people were healed of blindness. Well, watch now. What's he going to do now? We got him where we want him. The critics, the doubters, the haters were there too. You got broken people, hurting people, and you got doubters and critics. And Jesus walks right in the middle of those two groups and says, roll away that stone. Now, here's the thing about the group over here. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, the critics, I mean, they don't believe in God and that Jesus is God anyway. Anyway. And the Sadducees, they don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're Sadducees. That's, what, that's, that's, what that's an old joke. But they don't believe in the resurrection, that once you die, you die. That's it. But the Spirit, they believe the Spirit may hang out with the body for three days. Like maybe it's possible that someone could come back because they never really died. I mean, they just had the appearance of death. Because the, but the Spirit will hang out with the body for three days. That's what they believe. Jesus waits till the fourth day to bring the miracle to Lazarus, why? Because he's saying, whether you're in grief or whether you're my worst critic, I'm gonna do something that you can't even conceive of, I'll do something far beyond what you can even imagine. So that's why he says, God, I know that you hear me, I could think Lazarus out of the grave, but so that these people know that you are God and that you have sent me. For all these haters and doubters and critics and that people might believe, Lazarus, come out. And there is silence. Can you imagine the total silence of a group of people, a crowd, the crowd that must have gathered, standing around an open, dark cave, and Jesus standing in front, Lazarus, come out. I think the silence screamed. And I think that's what happens to us when we're waiting for God to do something and nothing's going on. It's so painfully silent, but they heard something at some point. Suddenly there was a sound. And that's all it was. And was that a rock? What was that? I don't see anything yet, but I hear a sound. And out from this, I mean, picture this, that there is a, uh, the, the guy is coming out of the grave with his legs, his arms, everything bound up, and he's just kind of hopping out. And people are screaming, ah! Ah! you know, all of a sudden, there's this, gu- you know. And he comes hopping out, but before they even saw him, They heard a sound, and that's why we're to walk by faith and not by sight. I hear the sound of God saying to somebody today, it is not over. There is a resurrection that can happen in your life. It is not done yet. And if you'll roll away the stone and let me touch the place of your brokenness and your greatest pain, I will restore and heal you and raise you up. Listen, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? You know, Lazarus, for as far as we know, the rest of his life, he never preached in a church. He never wrote a book of the Bible. All he had to do was show up. And people would say, oh, my God, I believe. They just look at him and they would say, oh, "Look, look what, look what God can do. And if God, if God can do that, then he can do something in my life. And that's what God wants to do in your life. It's not all about you. He wants to use you for his purpose. Where I started today, God has a plan and a purpose for your life that's greater than you and he wants to make you a trophy of his grace and people would would point at you and say, if God can do that, then I believe. Then I believe. And God will take your greatest trouble and pain. Your greatest setback will be only a setup for a comeback that God wants to do in your life. So I'm asking, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Are you just using God when you need him? When you only call on him when you have a problem? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you, do you roll the stone over stuff? Have you rolled the stone over an area of your life and said, uh, it's impossible, it can't be fixed, nothing can be done? <laughs> what is too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too difficult? What, what where have you poured concrete down a hole? <laughs> What stone have you put in place? I'm telling you, do not give up on the Lord. Listen to the little whisper of faith that says, Do you believe? And every other part of your mind saying, Oh, it can't be done. You've got the resistance and the back talk. But I'm saying, Go back. Take him to the place. Invite him into your life. Surrender to him. That's what faith is all about. You need you need an unwavering faith in these crazy times that we live in. This is time like we have never seen before in the history of the world. It is crazy. Sons against fathers, mothers against daughters, people shooting their own families, and we just take this as kind of a normal thing anymore. We're so immune to it. Um, an economy that's fracturing, politicians at war and division and strife and terrorism and the shaking of the earth and the movements of the, of the waves and the tides and the weather patterns. We're living in incredible, unusual uh, times and God is raising up a church, a group of people who will believe God more than ever. Now is the time to have unwavering faith. It's not time for fooling around no time to say, God, I'll get to you later one of these days. Now is the time to give your life to Christ, to make your life about his kingdom and about his glory, and let him transform you and change you from the inside out. Now is the time. So I'd just like you to stand with me and close your eyes for a moment. Stand up. I want to pray for you this morning in a very unusual way. Just grab the hand of the person next to you for a moment. Grab the hand. I want you to think about the person on your right and your left. They are a person that God loves, a person that God cares for. Everyone in this room has a stone rolled over something and God sees you today and he cares about you. I'm just wondering if right now you would begin to pray with me for the person on your right and your left. Dear God, I just pray for courage. I pray for faith. I pray for a spark of hope to come into every life. You love every person in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would bring a freedom. I pray pray that you would break people out of bondage this morning. God, I pray that they will not be the same. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, it's cold, it's distant, you have the trappings of religion, and you know I need a real relationship with God today, will you say in your heart, Jesus Christ, I am sorry for my sin, for my rejection of you. Come into my life. Forgive me and make me clean. If that's you, just say, yes, God, that's me. Oh, God, I pray that as people are holding one another by the hand, that your Holy Spirit will have your way in this place this morning. Lord, I pray for each one. May they know and feel the love of the body of Christ. We're in this together, and you want us to be one. Build our faith. Strengthen our faith today. And may every person say yes to what your spirit is saying. I pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody clapped and shouted together saying amen and amen. Isn't that great?